Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Dr. Kat Lindley, who is a board-certified family physician with a direct primary care practice in Texas. She's also director of the Global COVID Summit. Dobrodošli, Dr. Lindley. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's it's uh, great that uh, we found each other on the uh, internets and um, I, I read that you're from Split. I, I spent uh, some time in Split as a child. And maybe if you want to tell us just a bit about uh, yourself, the work you're doing, Global COVID Summit, uh, and so forth. Sure. So um, I was born in uh, what used to be Yugoslavia at the time, and I grew up in Split. At 18, I left to... It actually, I escaped one day before Split was attacked in the Balkan War. Uh, so I spent some time in Italy. Um, England and eventually made it to the States, uh, went to college, went to medical school. Um, I'm certified uh, in family medicine. I have my own practice in Texas. And uh, probably because of, you know, the way I grew up, uh, I didn't buy into this thing uh, that was happening. And I, to me, it was very important to have a relationship with the patients and, uh, you know, I learned of early treatment when things were happening, kind of got involved and eventually found home at Global COVID Summit with Dr. Ersto, Dr. Cole, Dr. Lynn Finn, Dr. Malone, Dr. Milholm, so many great physicians who are uh, trying to speak out and uh, trying to tell everyone what's happening, what we're seeing. Yeah, I, I uh, feel the same way. I mean, right from the start in 2020, I was living in Kazakhstan at the time, former Soviet Union, but uh, being a Croatian and um, being a former professor of history, I could immediately smell the stench of totalitarianism. Um, and, you know, it's been a couple of years now and, you know, the hour is late. So, you know, I just want to get right to the point and, and you, you know, speaking freely, bluntly, uh, objectively, no fear of this, you know, conspiracy theory um, slogan. But you know, many people are now aware that COVID nineteen was not at all what our governments pretended it was. If you ask me, it was a military and psychological operation with strategic objectives not divulged to the public. And you know, all of our governments and politicians and institutions and media and academia have proven themselves to be liars. If you ask me, they went along with this operation. And now that we have a little bit of distance from the state of emergency, a bit of hindsight, Dr. Lindley, what what would be sort of your best assessment of what COVID-19 really was and, and what was its you know true purpose? Um, you know, it's hard to tell what it was, other than to say them from a medical perspective, you know, um, things started not making sense early on, even with the masks. You know, as a physician, if you work in a hospital every year, we would be required to go do a fitting of the mask uh, to make sure that the there is a seal. And then, you know, they put the mask on you um, N95, and then they put a, um, like, plastic helmet over it that has a little opening where they can spray different things. One of them is saccharin. If you taste saccharin in your mouth, your seal is not appropriate. And I remember I used to grumble all the time for having to do that because I kept on saying, well, my mask has never changed since I was in medical school, you know, so why do I have to do this all the time? So I personally lost faith in CDC early on because of that. 
because if you remember New York, they started with this full-blown, almost hazmat-type suits, right? And then they ran out of certain things. So they said, okay, wear the N95. So they ran out of N95 and they said, well, wear this kind of uh, copy of N95, whatever it was. So they ran out of that. Then they said surgical mask. And uh, at one point, they actually said bandana, start wear a bandana. And, and, you know, it was at that point, you could tell that or they're made in things as they're going along, or this is not what they're trying to say it was. And then for someone like me, you know, having grown in, grown up in communism, um, I would say that like, you know, growing up under Tito wasn't as bad as probably was growing up under Stalin and Brezhnev for Russians. But still, you know, there are a lot of things that we were allowed and not allowed to do. And there was always that element of fear. So for someone like me, um, you know, I recognize the fear tactics, right? Those pictures on TV, the ticker at the end of the, you know, uh, news, Fox News or CNN or whatever was like, this many people died today, this many people tested positive, whatever those numbers were. And, you know, being in medical school and understanding psychology and different things, you know that that serves a purpose. So you had fear. Then they said, you know, they isolated us. They said, we can go out. We had that 15 days to stop, uh, you know, to flatten the curve. Um, so they isolate you so that you don't talk amongst each other and kind of try to figure out what's going on, right? We all stayed home with our families and stuff like that. I actually was considered essential employees. I, I, I never really was locked down. But the rest of the people were. And um, so you have, you know, fear, isolation, and then they started the bargaining phase of it, right? It's like, if you wear a mask, you can do this. If you stay six feet apart, you can stay in line. If you get the injection, the new vaccine, you can go to work. And for someone who understands really what freedom and liberty and United States of America stand for, people always get all... um, lost in this uh, you know COVID-19 the pandemic but I always said it's never been about the vaccine or the mask it's always been about the mandate mandate is type of a uh, tactics that totalitarian regimes use right you can only do this if you do that that's something that a free world should never do so for me it's always been about the mandate I think mandates are something to really um, learn from and in countries like the United States and, and the free world should not be tolerated. A quick shout out to our sponsors, which you can locate via the sponsor page on geopoliticsandempire.com or whose links are included in every podcast description. I've tried privacy phones in the past, such as Silent Circle's Black Phone, which turned out to be a dud. The best and really only option so far is de-googling your phone. Now, you can do it yourself but I've never had the time to figure that out and simply got an above phone. They sell de-googled phones that come with a suite of software. They also provide support and a monthly above privacy suite with many features such as a unique phone number, encryption, email, VPN, and so forth. If you're looking for a private phone, check out above phone. Make sure to click on the above phone link on geopoliticsandempire.com or via the podcast description so that we can enjoy a commission. Also, check out the Nomos Time Bank at nomos.net, which you can download in Spanish or English to your Apple or Google or de-Googled phone. 
Nomos allows people in your community to exchange services using time as a currency rather than fiat money. This will be one great way to survive in the coming algorithm ghetto. If you need health insurance, you can talk to my friend James Guzman of the Borderless Blog Podcast and Health Insurance. He offers free consultations. Simply schedule a time with him over at borderlesshealthinsurance.com. Finally, you can donate directly to Geopolitics and Empire Consult with me, the host, or become a member to join private monthly member Zoom calls where we shoot the breeze discussing world events. I, I, I'm coming to that same conclusion. Actually, early on for me, and still now, the biggest thing is, as you said, the, the mandate. Uh, and I've had guests say, again, people are freaking out about the, the vaccine. We can talk about that as well. I think it is causing harm. But for me, it's the digital passport control system, um, which is basically the, the the social credit system. And many guests of mine have echoed this as well, that the whole point of all of this exercise was to get us to conform to this totalitarian regime. Like th that was the most important to conform as a population globally and then accept these new uh, digital sorts of systems. Uh, and so what are your thoughts on like the digital passport? Because in many instances, I mean, he, here in Mexico, there were governors saying, if you don't have your updated digital vaccine passport, we're going to take away your pensions. Like, we're going to cut off your social welfare. You couldn't go into banks and supermarkets to buy food uh, unless you conform to this. So, you, you know, your thoughts on the digital passport. And they, they, they're working on this. You know, the EU in 2018 had been planning the EU vaccine <laughs> passport for you know go online in 2020 2021 2022 and so your your further thoughts on this well you know they even some states in the united states have actually already have some religious legislation for digital passports but the danger with digital passport is um what will they do with it once they have it right because uh when it's going to be enough, how many do you need to get to actually comply to them? Because I believe people who have gotten, you know, two vaccines and a booster are actually not in compliance now anyway. So how many would they have to get to actually be in compliance? And then uh, whatever is happening is China or not, but there is indication from some of the videos that people have to show their barcodes so they can do things, right? And that's ultimately what's going to happen. Someone, whoever that someone is, whether it's our government, WHO, or another entity, will be able through something like digital passport or digital scoring uh, ID to dictate what type of life you can lead. So, for example, if you don't comply with certain things, they can say, well, you can't drive your car. And then, you know, this push for electric car is very interesting. First of all, we don't have enough energy uh, the way we're going to you know supply and demand of these electric cars but i think in in uh, california they said by you 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 should fact check me on this one i don't know if it's 2030 or 2035 they want to go all electric which makes me laugh because i don't know when if you were in uh, croatia when you were younger right um i remember you know being teenager and split in the summer um they would turn off our electricity at five o'clock in the afternoon or three, I forget, three or five in the afternoon, and you wouldn't have any electricity until the morning, about eight, because it's summer, so it's warm, you know, the days are long and stuff like that. 
And I remember like we would make sandwiches because you wouldn't cook the dinner or whatever, right? But it did that to conserve the energy. And um, California already doesn't have enough energy. I remember them having some of these shutdowns uh, sometime last year, and they want to go towards the electric cars. Doesn't make sense how they're going to actually fuel these cars if they don't have the electric grid for it. But another interesting thing about electric cars is they can be disabled. So if you don't meet your social score, is that how they're going to control us? Who knows? And, you know, some people say, oh, you're, you know, a crazy person thinking all this. But obviously not really because a lot of these things are happening in different places. And uh, I think this idea that uh, people should be controlled and uh, told how to live is very alarming. Yeah. And you know, I, I mean, I've been talking, I've talked about this before. I live in the second biggest city in Mexico and our, our governor is de facto captured by the globalists. Uh, I should probably do a, a specific ep- episode. I haven't taken the time, but to show, I found the white papers here. We are a resilient city, smart city here in Mexico. And it's actually, it says it's financed by the Rockefeller Foundation. And in the actual white papers, it's, it's on the Mexican government's own website. They're pushing for a cashless system, pre-crime, uh, surveillance, removing car lanes, uh, building out public transport because they're preparing to take away private uh, vehicles. And one of the governors actually said he wants to get rid of all private vehicles in his state in Mexico. Uh, He recently met with Klaus Schwab in Davos and invited him to his state of Nuevo León, which happens to be where Elon Musk and Tesla are going to build their uh, Tesla factory in Nuevo León. So it's again, this is all documented, but I think we're we're getting slightly ahead of ourselves. And this plays into the bigger idea of Great Reset, which I did want to ask you. But b- before going there, uh, to go back to the um, you know the the pandemic, I I was in two thousand and nine at the sixty second World Health uh, Assembly in in Geneva during the quote swine flu pandemic. I was a graduate student there. I didn't believe that was a pandem- pandemic at the time. I think they were faking that, manipulating it, changing the definition of pandemic. I don't believe what we went through was a pandemic. I didn't believe that ever, you know, in 2020. Um, I, maybe it was a low-yield bioweapon or or something, but what's your take on the, or, you know, the nature of, you know, COVID-19? Um, I remember early on reading some papers, I forget where they're from, where someone said that there was a... Uh, sequence uh in the virus that had like hiv origins or some kind of similarities with hiv and you know i really thought early on this was not a natural thing but uh from my standpoint it didn't matter because people were presenting with an illness that i had to help them with and uh you know alpha initially was a very strong um you know, disease in people. A lot of people got very sick. Um, I, you know, I, I read right away from the beginning and I was lucky to know some people. So I kind of got onto this early treatment train really early on with my patients. So most, I didn't have m- much issues with my patients. I think I had two or three who ended up in a hospital, but mainly because they started things late, but they recovered and did fine. Then we had the Delta wave, it was different. Um, that's the way where the ivermectin kind of worked a little bit more than hydroxy, and the symptoms were a little bit different. 
So, you know, from my standpoint, I just took care of the people. I wasn't necessarily worried about pandemic part, except for the fact that lots of our, we lost lots of our liberties and uh, the mandates were to wear a mask and then and later on have a vaccine didn't make any sense. And as the narrative kept on going, going and going, uh, it made even less sense when it came to kids and when it came to herd immunity. You talk about changing definitions, they change the definitions of everything. What's a vaccine? What's a pandemic? What is herd immunity? So those are all red flags. You know, people always will ask me, like, how did you know and how do, do your colleagues don't? I don't know. I don't think there's anything special about me or, or people, you know, like us or whatever. I just, you know, saw it from the beginning. And I think my experiences uh, as a young adult and growing up in Europe had something to do with it. I'm not sure why the rest of the uh, profession doesn't see it, especially now with all the data coming out. Like you can't hide the data. And, uh, or they've lost interest in learning or, you know, and I do know a lot of them are employed and they're different narratives. And yes, you could lose your license. A lot of doctors are getting persecuted for what's happened. So I don't know. It's, um, it's been an interesting time. How were you able to, uh, you know, maintain your license? Is it because you're in, you're in Texas? I mean, did you ever suffer the risk of losing your uh, practice? No, knock on wood, right? Uh, I'm careful about what I say. You know, I try to say things I know. And um, I always come from the point that the most important thing for me as a physician is patient-physician relationship. You know, my duty is to the patient. Um, I'm in private practice, so that helps. And, uh, you know, uh, I just took care of my patients. really wasn't. Um, kind of just stayed in my in my world, you know, in our town. Patients knew if they were sick, they can come to me. Uh, it really it, there was it's, there's nothing special, but I think the most important thing is like I, I'm very careful about if it's something that I'm not an expert in or I don't know. I'll just say this is what I think. I don't really know it. A lot of people, I think, sometimes you know can be inflammatory and different things. So you have to you have to fight your battles. I decided early on that my job is to take care of my patients. I didn't really start speaking out publicly, you know, as part of the Global COVID Summit until the defeat the mandates in um, Washington. It was kind of interesting, Dr. Urso, our group was going there, I actually spoke um, a few months before Washington, D.C., and uh, and I said to Richard, I'm like, okay, I'll go to D.C. only if I don't have to speak. You know, I, I've never spoken at the rally. So I'm like, I'll go and I'll be there, but I don't want to speak. And he's like, he promised me I'm not going to. Uh, next thing we know, um, you know, there are a lot of physicians there, Dr. McCullough, Pierre Corey, Ryan, uh, uh, Aaron Kirardi. They're all male, right? So they needed a few girls. So they changed their mind. You know, And then I was like, Okay, if I have to speak, you're going to have to write it down because I actually end up having COVID during the um, defeat the mandate and I had fever one or two while we were speaking. So it's kind of one of those things, you know, life um, takes uh, interesting 
ways and, and you find yourself speaking out. But one place where I felt very strongly about were the children. You know, I always felt that, especially when it comes to children, there was no indication for the vaccine. Uh, we don't have any long-term data. At that point, we knew that the LNP goes to the, the lipid nanoparticle goes to the ovaries and testes. Uh, there is no data on fertility. Uh, there is no, you know, before this platform, mRNA lipid nanoparticle platform, all the vaccines take long time to actually go into production. Uh, and this went in production in a matter of months. And then they said, oh, it's safe. Go ahead. Based on few studies, someone, uh, uh, you know, mice and stuff like that. And then uh, as these smart people, like, you know, those who follow Leaks or LinkedIn or these people on Twitter, you know, those are the geniuses that, like, I'll read their analysis. Are they, as they're digging deeper into data, you can see the data is really corrupt. And uh, and now we're seeing we're seeing that we're seeing adverse events we're seeing vaccine injured, um, and uh, I think the biggest tragedy is the fact that medical community is not recognizing what's happening, and some of it is willingly, some of it is maybe they don't understand, but there is definitely vaccine injury, and uh, we need to figure out how to help as many as possible. Yeah, I, I like to call it pentagon juice or the darpa gene therapy because i mean from what i've seen it seems to have all of this it seems to have come out of the department of defense um what do they call it barda it was some kind of bio defense biological counter measure and i, I again for me i think the, the biggest point is this was to get us to conform to these digital passport social credit system like that's the end game but as you said uh you know to make a omelet you gotta crack a few eggs you know, uh, collateral damage and how bad do you think, um, you think, I mean, it seems like people are dying from these um, injections or being disabled, all sorts of, you know, myocarditis, all of this stuff. Uh, do you think that was part of their uh, agenda as well? Um, because even a lot of elderly Mexicans that I speak to, they say themselves, they believe that this was to call the elderly because we know that they don't have, the governments don't have money to pay out the pensions. And so it's like one way to get rid of the the, the weak uh, in the in the population, the elderly. Uh, so you know, any further thoughts on uh, on any of this? Uh, so I don't really like to speculate what the agenda is because I don't think anyone knows. I do think that uh, one of the things the the pathogens. Um, the bio warfare is real and i think governments have been trying for years to figure out the platform where if something is out there they can produce vaccines as soon as possible and get them out there uh, was that uh initially you know they probably had some good intentions that way um and uh, did they use this pandemic as an excuse to try the new technology on a large population um, anything is possible. But like I said before, the mRNA technology is the one where you can develop vaccine for anything you want in a really short period of time. So I can see where there is value in that. Um, did they make mistakes and that's why we're suffering from the consequences? Possibly. Did they actually do it on purpose? Who knows? You know, some people believe that that's uh, 
final intent? I choose not to believe that because if that's the final intent, I think we live in a very sad world. Um, but, you know, at this point, anything is possible as we've seen for the past uh, three years. So I think everything needs to be on the table and needs to be examined. I just think it's about my pay grade to really figure out that. And most of us will never really figure out. We're learning as we're going along. I think what's more concerning to me is that despite the fact that data is showing that this is not safe, uh, it's not effective, but it's not safe, they're still pushing for the vaccines. Um, the vaccines have been approved on children's schedule. Some states will most likely start vaccinating children and make it mandatory. Texas hasn't made it mandatory. Florida is not going to. Uh, so the concern is that despite all this, it keeps on going. And then the other things, you know, eating insects, you know, you have to be an idiot to want to do a commercial that like these actors are doing eating insects. And it's like, oh, this is so yummy. No, it's not. Interestingly, I was in China, maybe 2016, 2015, I forget, uh, to teach at a medical school for a week. And um, it was really funny because I, I had this, people in China are wonderful, but I had this like, anxiety level inside me just knowing what communism is you know and stuff like that there, there weren't any issues there but like I, I had this kind of anxiety but anyway that's beside the point we went to this market um like real chinese market i forget what they called them and they had fried insects including scorpions and also on the stick you know like kebab type of a stick it's like the vile smell disgusting it's hard to describe. So this idea that we're going to be eating insects and we'll be happy and we're going to love it, honestly, it's the stupidest thing in the world. But that said, you really have to start watching what you're putting in your food, whether it's flour or other things, because they are starting to do things like that. I love what Italy did. Italy banned, uh, through their legislation, any type of... Um, insects i know specifically in their flour pasta and uh pizza but also something else recently i think it might have been maybe in their wine or drinks or something i'm not sure but that's how you're supposed to do it right you know food and and italian wine and stuff like that that's their national heritage they're like well you're not going to get to mess with that and when you see a lot of these things that are happening you know like i said they're going with the vaccines they're trying to do the insects they're trying to do this whole um, net zero, electric cars, you know, digital ID, the CBDC, all of that is put in place to control the way of living. But it's kind of done in a very smart way, actually. They're doing a good job. I don't remember the first time I used my credit card or my, well, maybe not credit card, but debit card, for example, to pay for things. But it's really convenient just to uh, touch the screen and not worry about how much money I have in my wallet, right? Same thing, your iPhone, I, the wallet. You know, it's really convenient. So they kind of you get us used to this convenience. And once we are used to it, you know, when you really think about it, CBDC is not that, much different 
to what we already are used to, you know, whether it's paying with our card or sending a Venmo or sending a PayPal or something like that. So they have done this in a very smart way, kind of step-like fashion. And obviously, if they push us towards CBDC, you can really kiss your freedom goodbye, in my opinion, because then they can truly control you. So, um, you know, that said, I think there is some good stuff happening in the world. If you watch France protesting against their pension things in, uh, in France right now, Israel is protesting against the uh, Netanyahu and the judicial uh, branch. Um, someone was telling, telling me in Africa, there are several places they're protesting. I know South Africa is very volatile now in certain places. So I think people are trying to say we've had enough. Governments are not listening. So how is it going to end up? I don't know. Yeah, I think nobody knows. And yeah, this is the bigger picture we're getting into. I mean, Cobra Commander Klaus Schwab, is, as I call him, he wrote the book in 2020, COVID and the Great Reset. And I view all of this interlinked. Uh, part of it has to do with the collapsing financial system. So you've got the pandemic aspect to catalyze some of these programs, digital passports and digital currencies, and then the war in Ukraine, just it's, it's to, to as well wipe out the middle class to create a bring us back to the you know feudalism uh, just poor and 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 rich and then um you know this this is some have commented on this as well i think it's to crash the dollar which would then make way for the cbdc's we see them the you know banks collapsing now and smaller banks are at risk and they're concentrating power in the big banks to make way for the cbdc's and yeah many experts have said what what you just said that the cbdc's aren't anything new we're we're already basically sort of using cbdc the only difference is we're they would now eliminate the off ramps, so you would only have CBDC. They can ex uh, program it um, and just shut you off. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm banned from PayPal, uh, Patreon. Others are now having their bank accounts closed. So if, if you don't do what the regime likes, as you say in communism, they just shut you off, and then instead of being thrown in the physical gulag or ghetto, uh, you'll be thrown in the algorithm gulag or al algorithm ghetto, as my past guest Edwin Black has called it, uh, and so. Um, further thoughts on that or the World Health Organization as well. You wrote a, a piece not long ago, uh, basically mm -hmm. on, their, on their plot to take over the world. They've got the international health regulations they want to change. And even Tedros, the terrorist, as I call him, uh, they, it came out a few weeks ago, openly basically saying nationalism is the biggest obstacle. And that uh, he's like, please just sign the pandemic treaty. You know, just, just give us all this power. And he actually came out and said, it, it, we don't we, we don't want to take over the planet i mean I, I don't believe one word this guy says and bill gates wrote uh that same weekend uh op-ed for new york times calling for this global pandemic task force like firefighter task force and so uh what are you seeing now with the who and what they're trying to do well um you know he tedros made that video saying we were we're not going to take your sovereignty away you know you know, those are lies or whatever, which means that we are kind of over the target when it comes to messaging. I think people are doing a good job when it comes to WHO and, and learning about it. Uh, so not much would change. Well, so, for example, during this pandemic, um, WHO gave recommendations 
and then countries could decide whether to accept them or not. And, you know, in our case, CDC usually accepted and FDA went with their recommendations and things like that. With the IHR changes that they're proposing that will be voted next May on, those will not be recommendations. They will be mandatory. So all the, uh, you know, member country nations will have to comply. And WHO would have the authority to tell us how to take care of people, how to take care of the patients, which medications to give them, what type of tests, vaccines, whatever they deem uh, appropriate, we would have to do what they want us to do if we um, approve these IHRs and incorporate them into our laws. So those are just few things. Um, there was also change in the wording of human rights, which is in specific, um, you know, the, it's it's contradicting actually the human rights resolution of UN and the um, US constitution in several places. So there are a lot of things with the IHR that are very concerning, but ultimately it would give the director general powers to declare any potential concern into an, into an emergency, into a pandemic, and then that's it. They can decide how to uh, respond based on that and tell the countries, this is what you have to do, this is what you have to do. So, so him saying, like, we're not going to take your sovereignty away, it's not true because they will take away our ability to decide how to respond to things, right? Um, there is going to be the, the countries will have to finance this. There's a huge increase in you know their budget that they're requiring for all this. So that's going to come from all the countries. Then the country, like if there is a patent or something that came from one country, they can just give it to another. It's a whole mess on several levels. And then you have the pandemic accord, uh, which you know the IHR are kind of in place to give the bones to the pandemic accord. So they, they really work together. And both of those instruments, uh, they're going to vote on in May of next year. And that's a concern. Uh, I think it's important for every country to see what are their internal measures that, you know, they can take so this doesn't happen. In United States, you need Senate to ratify, two-thirds of Senate to ratify the treaty. But IHR is a little bit different because they're already part of the international law that we have adopted in the past. So I would say I haven't heard from anyone a satisfactory explanation how they are not going to go into effect. Uh, lot, many people will say, well, nothing can override our Constitution of Bill of Rights. But I think that especially with IHR, there is there is danger that there are some venues that very could. And also the IHRs um, would go in effect, they go like into preliminary effect even before they get like, you know, um, or that might have been pandemic treaty, I don't even remember anymore. One of them will go into effect while the country is ratifying, which would probably be the pandemic treaty. But the point is, they keep on pushing on this. They're not going to give it up. We have to watch it. We have to resist it. And and in the United States, there are several bills that, you know, Senator Johnson is trying to to push forward, Representative uh, Roy and Massey and uh, uh, several from Arizona are trying to work on. So I think 
We just need to stay aware, keep on top of it, and make sure that we inform our uh, legislators. Because uh, I didn't watch this whole thing, but to tell you like how sometimes they don't know what they're doing themselves. One of the senators, I'm not going to name names, but one of the senators is actually sponsoring this TikTok bill. And Senate version of the bill is really bad because it would not only ban uh, TikTok, it would actually allow the government to um, have um, some control over the so- over your social media, right? They could spy on you and things like that. So it's, it's, it's a bad bill. No one likes it. Even TikTok doesn't like it, right? It's a bad bill. Um, so this senator was interviewed by uh, Jesse Walters uh, from Fox News, I think he is. And he said to him, hey, Senator, why are you sponsoring this bill? It's a terrible bill. It would cause a lot of damage, whatever, whatever, whatever. And he goes, oh, I'm not sponsoring this bill. He's like, yes, you are. Oh, is that bill about this? So, or they don't pay attention and don't read things and make, you know, whatever decisions. But it tells you that they are not as informed as we think we are. they are. So it's important for the constituents to reach out to, you know, their members and say, this is why we shouldn't do this, to make sure that they understand why the Americans are against it when it comes to WHO. Yeah, and as you mentioned, constitutionality. I think they've already showed during the pandemic. I, If you ask me, all countries, um, what they did broke all state constitutions and you know national constitutions like here in here in mexico and 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 in other countries they've already shown mayors um state governors presidents and prime ministers that they've already overrided our constitutions so uh i just fear what's coming what you just outlined and given everything that we've discussed uh and some of these bigger pictures do, do you have any other uh concerns uh uh There's so much, you know, sometimes it's hard to even think what is out there. But um, I would say it's very important for people to get involved locally, you know, um, to get involved with their children, education, uh, with communities, with, uh, you know, growing their own foods, uh, paying cash while we still can is important. Um, Really stay on top of these things that are coming because uh, one thing we learned. Uh, during this pandemic is that our governments don't necessarily have our best interest at heart. And, you know, this whole build back agenda that they all were, you know, every country leader was talking, we're going to build back better, you know, and stuff like that. This never happened before where every country agreed about everything. So, you know, that was indication that something was wrong. We should all take care of our own people in the way that's best for the, for our country. Because, you know, United States is different than UK or Mexico is different than Canada or, you know, Australia is different than Israel. So to have one size fit all, uh, it's very kind of crazy notion. And, you know, I understand that coming from medicine, there are some medications that we use for certain things, but something might work for you and not for me. So there has to be this individual, personal approach to things. So um, I think the best thing going forward is for people to always, not necessarily question everything, but, you know, 
ask, why do I need to do this? Why do I need to do that? Don't just comply for the sake of complying. Um, and it's very important to return back to those values. You know, you know this. Uh, in Croatia, we are very much family-oriented. People come home for lunch. They eat dinner together. Uh, you know, on Sundays, families get together uh, just to spend time. For those who believe, uh, they go to church. They spend, you know, it's these connections that we've grown up with. It's very important to leave that kind of legacy to our children because our children are getting bombarded by, you know, digital things, messages, uh, AI. Uh, there's a lot of these messages. Even if you watch movies, uh, they have, in my opinion, a lot of movies in the past that can have kind of desensitized us so that we accept things that maybe 10 years ago we would never have accepted, but we've seen it so many times in different stories that now it's like, oh, that's not really that strange anymore. So uh, it's important for people to stay on top of it, stay involved and um, question and do what's right for their families. Yeah, and uh, you know, you mentioned things, ways to resist uh, paying attention. Um, you know, most of the stuff that many of my uh, sharp guests suggest as well. I mean, this is all we can do at this point. Um, I I've also been uh, wondering, uh, you know, if we do go into this, if we do continue sliding into this dystopian future, um, then how to best prepare. <laughs> for it and a lot of my guests have said this as well you know building parallel societies you mentioned growing food uh i i've had an idea uh you know maybe someday i'd like to go back to uh a farm on in rural croatia uh you know in dalmatia somewhere or here in mexico H have you ever thought about uh you know having like a plan b in some rural area in case you get locked out of the <laughs> digital system um so you know texas is an interesting state our Big cities are very much blue, but the state itself is very much red. And uh, a lot of small communities are that way. When something happens, people tend to help each other. So I was actually on Facebook looking at some stuff today, and someone said, oh, I want to buy half a cow. Like, who's going to go in with me, you know, right? Because they want to get some organic food from the local farmers and stuff like that. So places like Texas, I think there is place for stuff like that. Um, I go back to Croatia a lot and life is, in Croatia is much simpler. You know, people still buy their food from farmers. When you go to the fresh market every morning, the fishermen still go out and fish and bring the fresh seafood. So people are used to that type of life. But there is this struggle with uh, what people want to do and what government wants to do. And I think I think it's going to come to a head at some point where, um, you know, hopefully there's going to be a peaceful way of figuring things out uh, because it's not sustainable. You know, at the end of the day, I would say that most families, most individuals just want to have a good life, go to work provide for the family, you know, go on vacation when they can, uh, have some nice things, help people that they can help with. You know, essentially they want to have a peaceful life. 
uh, if you keep on putting us in a box and putting these bars around us, that's not something that is sustainable. I'm hoping that enough leaders around the world are going to start listening to their own people and realize that, you know, the way we're going is not something um, to look forward to. And there's so much danger in our children's lives now compared to the way it was when we were younger. It just kind of, you know, at times it's really sad to see where we're going. And the fact that our leaders are not recognizing it, you have to ask yourself, are they not recognizing it because they're stupid? And I don't think they are. I think they choose not to recognize it. And I think there is danger in that. But it's really, really, oh, I can even say, it, willing for um, ignorance or not wanting to know. Um, so the best we can do, I think, is remind them as much as we can. And like you said, not it's not even like big parallel society. Just build your own community. I always say, think global, but act local. Create your safe community where you live get involved run for school boards mayor whatever and just uh be strong and i think for state united states specifically what can be done is um in states where we have reasonable people it doesn't matter which party you are just want someone reasonable with common sense type of a thing uh it's very important to make sure that your state is strong because sure, federal government can tell you what to do a lot of things, but in, ultimately, in a lot of uh, cases, state rights trump the federal rights. So uh, if you live in a strong state, your life is going to be a whole lot easier than some other states. Yeah, I spoke recently to a pastor from New York who's got a book coming out called The Great Reset. Christianity, and he was discussing how they're creating this new religion, uh, you know, the climate green religion uh, with the whole trans LGBT ideology, and that they're trying to break conservatism, as you mentioned, family oriented values, which, you know, the majority of the world subscribe to. Um, and it's kind of sad to see in Croatia now, I'm seeing more and more of these Croatian politicians subscribing to this ideology, and now they're pushing it into schools in Croatia. It's beginning. Uh, you know, and it's, it's sad to see that gender ideology telling, you know, your child, they can choose their gender, um, promoting sexuality with children. I mean, this is insane. And so uh, any final uh, thought for us? Um, you kind of reminded me the words that used to mean something like faith, family, freedom, all of a sudden are on the blacklist. Right. And I think those are the words that we need to bring back faith, family, freedom, whether you believe in something. I think as long as you believe in something greater than yourself, you will probably do a lot better than if you just think that you can do everything on your own. Uh, and uh, family units are important, whatever they are for uh, someone, you know, whether it's a single parent or uh, two parents or whatever. I think it's important to keep on creating these connections and having the sense of family, whatever that family is for you. And freedom is essential for all of us to really live. Because uh, if you talk, you know, I'm too young to remember those things. Well, you know, I'm not that young, but I was a child under Tito. But if you ask like 
older generations, they had a hard life. And then especially like if you think of people in Romania or people in uh, uh, Russia with gulags and all that, they'll tell you freedom is probably the biggest treasure we can have. And we really have to think twice before we just willingly give it away like we have these past three years. Yeah, like as I mentioned, I spent three years in the former Soviet Union in Kazakhstan and still the older generation that lived in the Soviet Union, um, you know, they, they would tell me this and, and they still had fear under the current Kazakh uh, regime. And some of my listeners was, who think oh, Stalin was fantastic, there were no gulags, Soviet Union, go live in the former Soviet Union and talk to the people who lived under it. Uh, they will tell you themselves it was not <laughs> cool, uh, and so mm-hmm. yeah, I don't I don't understand some of these um, apologists. I mean, even the, the the church in Kazakhstan told me during the Soviet Union they came into their church, took away thirty men, killed them, disappeared, never came back. So is that cool? No, no, it's not. And I you know, so I, I I've talked to these people, have been there, done that. Uh, I'll include all of your links in the description. Your Twitter, Global COVID Summit. Where, where are the best places to to find you? As long as I stay alive, probably Twitter for now. And uh, I have a page, com, where I sometimes, I haven't written in a little while, but sometimes I'll write different thoughts and things like that. And then we have globalcovidsummit.org, where, you know, all of these physicians will write articles, put videos on. And that's really it. All right. Well, hvala što ste bili s nama na geopolitics and empire i hope you enjoyed this geopolitics and empire podcast the website is geopoliticsandempire.com and i encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines the newsletter and website are our last lines of defense we're being censored and deplatformed it's nearly impossible to find geopolitics and empire on the google search engine we've been blacklisted YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes, Facebook restricts our page, Reddit and Twitter take down posts, and after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.